0: Welcome to the Rugby League Hero Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode two of season two of the Rugby League Europe Podcast with myself, Lee Addison, and my regular sidekick, Carlo Napolitano. Carlo, did you put that new jingle on? That When I listened to the podcast last week, there was a new jingle on and it... It smacks of a Nap- Napolitano musical
1: <laughs> Why was it uh, an Italian tarotella? <laughs> was it uh, like an no, Italian no, no. dance? I don't, or... I don't know how Godfather. you describe it. Godfather.
0: I don't know how you describe it. I just got the shock of my life because our uh, team that are involved in this podcast never let me know. When I listened to it, I thought, have a clicked on the right podcast? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and over the week, Carlo, we made quite a big decision for the future of our podcast, didn't
1: we? Yeah, we did. We did. Uh, I think, uh, again, uh, also a little bit of feedback. It's good to have someone who's regular, who's also a stakeholder in the game. I want to say that, probably, you know, an active member of an organisation because it kind of gives the voice to and from. Uh, And it's great to have Dean, um, who did his first podcast
0: last week. Um, So, Dean Buchan. How are you, Dean?
2: Yeah, I'm good, lads. How are you?
0: I'm good. Dean Buchan, the president of Spanish Rugby League, amongst other things. Um, But by the way, because me and Carlo are just in Australia right now, can we have a weather report from you, please?
2: Well, you know, it's always sunny. It's always sunny in Valencia, isn't it?
0: I've had (laughs) rain, Carlo. What have you had?
1: Uh, today, I'm at, now i am at about twenty-one degrees in in the good old gong. Uh, yeah, it's been the weather's been the weather's been sensational actually. Well, Brisbane. Per- I've still got the door open now, getting a nice cool um, evening breeze coming through.
0: Brisbane's been persisting down. Um, if you want to send us your local weather report, please contact us on Twitter at the RLE Podcast, uh, Instagram at the RLE Podcast, and the Rugby League Europe podcast is our Facebook name. We've discussed the new jingle, we've discussed our new permanent member, Dean, and it's a welcome from me too. Um, You are obviously um, in Europe, so you'll be getting quite excited by the the fact that it seems rugby league is emerging again, um, in Britain in particular. In the UK, there's warm-up matches happening this weekend as we record and drop. For example, York City versus Hull FC is the first trial game that happens over the weekend, Catalans and Toulouse, and then Saints and Lee. Each of those trials are friendlies that are no more than an hour drive away from each other in in a country that's still in a a sort of semi-lockdown thing. And Super League starts at at the end of this month, at the end of March, and it starts with Saints and Salford and Lee and Wigan. Um, The government has also announced that recreational sport can return from the 29th of March with... uh, Training to begin on that date and it's a phase return to contact. April 24th, 25th, primary RL games may commence. I don't know if that means primary school or just initial. Uh, and that same weekend and May the 1st and 2nd, friendly fixtures may take place with all competitions in the community game allowed the the weekend of May the 8th and 9th. Dean, as a administrator. In Europe, in Spain, you've also got interest in England because of the club partnerships that you spoke about on last week's podcast. That must be music to your ears. It is, but
2: obviously, um, so I can give you a little bit of background on this because uh, obviously, you know, I've got all the information uh, from from Bath regarding the return to play, return to action. Um, so the dates that you gave there are right. So you know, Bath Rugby League, um, our men's team. Uh, the first first training session will be the 29th of March. Mm-hmm. But obviously, that's without contact. So we've got okay. to think about that because mm-hmm. we're talking about players who have not had any action, not in any training for a year. Um, and so that day of the 1st of May or the first week of May, uh, returning to friendlies, that's really ambitious, isn't it? Because you've got to think of... Uh, strength and conditioning impact training when contact returns um i don't think the season can return in the community until the 17th of may carlo that's when sorry
0: sorry Dean. i thought you'd finish sorry
2: yeah just to say that's essentially when england goes into tier one because during april it'll be effectively in tier two um so there's different restrictions and you know you uh, fans and things that you've got to do in terms of wiping down posts mm. and disinfecting balls and all of that, which doesn't just—it's not so practical for the community game. Um, so I think the seventeenth of May would be would be the logical return. Uh, I, I, I'd like the, to zoom in. Yeah. I'd
0: like to zoom in on the comment that you made uh, regarding basically player conditioning and player preparedness for the community game, Carlo. Uh, you and I are both. Ex players, we grew up playing virtually together, and neither of us is fair to say are uh, natural athletes. We did put on weight, lose weight, whatever it may be. Have you ever had yourself a year out of the game? Yes or no?
1: Um, at a rugby league, probably not. Well, yeah. well, I broke my leg, didn't I? And came back from a, a broken leg. How long was that? So, um, uh, six to eight weeks. Oh, okay, tops, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then that led into the back end of the season. So, and then pre starting pre season again. And and to be honest, it was a struggle. It was a struggle. Now, uh, when I stopped playing, um, and, and then I had four or five years off. And then when I came over to Australia, I started playing football just as a, as a runaround. Again, two different sports with two different contacts. But the fact of the matter is, it, it, it took it took about a season just to get mm. cardiovascular, and that's without mm. the contact. Mm. So you can imagine, you know, in a rugby league environment, and, and you you got to put this down to muscle density, as mm. you, as you know, like mm-hmm. you know, constant contact increases the bone density uh, and the impact density of your bone. So you know, there's a whole array, and and what and what Dean said there is is very valid. You know, how are we going to get back to? Well, we've got the 17th of May. But still, that's still early. But again, where do we draw the line? We've got to get back to playing football because if we don't start playing rugby league very, very soon, we've got a World Cup to come, and it is uh, based in the UK, and it need uh, and we we need to generate some sort of uh, headline for the game. Dean, so, uh, uh, it, it's all relevant
0: uh, as somebody who is boots on the ground in Europe and the interest in Britain as well. Can you unpack in any way, shape, or form this phrase here that there's a phase return to contact? I mean, does that what does that look like at the minute, or do you not know?
2: Well, look, is, which hat do you want me to put on? Because it looks completely different based on where you are. So, you know, obviously in England it looks very different than it looks in What's Spain. The situation so, in Spain? Um, so the situation in Spain right now is um, everyone can essentially mm. train. Um, apart from <laughs> Catalonia, so Barcelona can't okay. train. Um, the uh, the Valencian clubs have only just gone back to training um, this week. Um, Madrid have been training for a few weeks. Uh, Mallorca are training, um, but again, it's without that contact. It's without that impact. Um, it's about the restrictions in certain places, and yet, um, if I told you something which sounds quite ridiculous. Um, Valencia can't travel to, say, Madrid to play a, a friendly game. Um, they can play a friendly game within Valencia, but Mallorca can jump on a plane to Madrid and go and play a friendly match. Um, that's bizarre. And that's, that's the joys of having regional governments. Um, and so in every country around Europe, it's slightly mm. different. So, um, And what we've got to remember is the UK and we talked about this on the last podcast. The UK is is massively ahead on its vaccination mm-hmm. program,
1: yeah.
2: and so that has a massive effect on return to play and potential future stoppages. That's not the same in places like Spain, like Italy, like Holland, where around nine ten percent of the populations have been vaccinated. In England, it's up at thirty five percent. That's a massive. Now difference. this.
0: This this um, must be confusing and difficult difficult for you to process as well because you mentioned your your hats. One of them is a uh, one of the organisers of Euro 13s. Is there anything you can update us about there, Dean?
2: I mean, the update is there is no update, <laughs> um, and and people that that really frustrates people because they say, "Well, what's happening? What well, you know? Is it happening? Is it not happening?" Um, and you, you you touched on it in your earlier comments. You know, have you ever had a year out of the game? So, what we've got to see is, um, we've got to see what happens this year, haven't yeah. we?
1: Um, I think, it's, I think, I think it's, it's, far... I think it's a due diligence process, which I think the Euro Third 13s it, uh, has uh, attended well, came out early from the stocks and just said, listen, with everything that's going on, uh, now is not the time to be pushing a competition through, which I totally agree, Dee.
2: Yeah, but the other thing is, its I don't want to name the club because it would be unfair because we're in regular contact with all of the clubs, uh, but one of the clubs had an AGM last week um, because not playing for a year has a massive effect on the motivation. Again, we talked about it in the first podcast. Players, you know, do, players, players, yeah, players. do players go and find something else to do? Um, this year it's not a case of okay we can go back to play in some European countries it's really uncertain in a lot of places um, and therefore have players got that motivation to fight through this year so I think what we've got to do as Euro 13s and what we are doing is we're in regular contact with all the clubs where are identifying what their problems are how they intend to, to solve them But it would be really, really difficult for us to say, yes, guarantee you in February 2022, the competition is going to start if, for example, half of the teams didn't manage to play a season this year. That would be two years without action. Mm -hmm. Would they be able to go into a competition? Um, So we've also got to see how the vaccination programme goes across Europe. Yes, it's behind England, but they will catch up relatively quickly. Um, And so you think uh, the majority of the problem will go away. But again, we've got to look at Union versus League, how much delayed each team is in each country. It might be that they have a vaccination by, say, July, August, but then they don't have the players because those players are going back to Union and therefore that team doesn't play a league. So it's a little bit like the world cup when we were talking uh, a couple of weeks ago, we just need a little bit more time to, to see how things develop as things develop, things will become clear.
1: Are, are you still on track though for, um, January, 2022 as, uh, with the postponed date
2: financially? Yeah. Financially. Um, we're on track. um, in terms of the team and uh, logistics and um, all of that side, yes. But we have this big doubt, which is called COVID.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, or, or not and, even that, like you explained, you could probably get back to playing. But then there's a different issue with player retention and player numbers or participation numbers, which then will have an effect coming into 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 January when you're supposed to start. So. Yeah, and, that's what you're and saying. And we're talking
2: about yeah. what we're actually well. What we're really saying is, um, right now we don't know what the problems will be I'm because be, we probably yeah. need one or two months to pass now, and everything I think will be crystal clear in you know six, seven, eight weeks time, and we'll know what we're dealing with. Um, I think now it's just it's just too
1: early. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. We we don't know anything just yet we've got we've got a plan where it's a return to plan you've just got to let that that proceed haven't you whether it's in the UK Italy Spain um whatever country it's in we don't know what the issues are going to be until we we start getting back to playing and training you
0: are you are listening to episode two of season two of the rugby league Europe podcast a Harry and Megan free zone um Back to the UK, guys. The uh, the Betfred Women's Super League will return in April after an absence of more than 18 months, with 10 teams in the competition and a grand final on Sunday, October the 10th. Leeds Rhinos won their first Women's Super League title in the last top-level fixture in UK Women's Rugby League, played uh, played over there. Boys, and I'll start with Carlo on this. Traditionally, it's probably fair to say that that women's sport has been considered the less popular cousin to men's. It's um, been evident, I suppose, in some sporting attendances, TV deals, and media coverage. The, the right or wrongs of that, I'm not talking about. I'm just, I'm just stating what 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 can happen. Um, where do you assess rugby league's current status with regards to women and the game of rugby league?
1: Well, I think I think when we talked about this in previous episodes last year, we we said, listen, it's whether you like it or not, it's a new sport with um, uh, you know that's not that's not been around for a long time, so it, it's going to take its its time to develop and mature at its own rate. It's not gonna it's not gonna mature at the same speed as the the, the male game, but I, I think there's been leaps and bounds in the last five years of the game um, wholeheartedly across both hemispheres, Uh, the standard, the professionalism. um, And again, I think it has its place. I've always been a great believer in women's rugby league. I've always been a great stalwart and Mm. a great motivator of that we we, we need uh, more inclusion in our game. And I think it's, you know, I think the standard's going to increase. Dean, you
0: mentioned you talk with clubs quite regularly. What are you hearing on the ground vis-a-vis, the women's game, be it professionally or um, in the community game? Well, look, I'm, I've been really heavily involved uh,
2: with the women's game uh, in terms of uh, the last year. If you look at Spain, we've um, we've actually launched a women's team. I know it might sound ridiculous launching a team during COVID because they haven't actually played or trained. Um, but we've now got four clubs in Spain. For women's clubs, Um, I can tell you that the women's game grows much quicker um, than the men's game. And you've got to understand essentially there's always this fight between union and league in the men's side and we just talked about Euro 13s and clubs struggling for player attention. Because the women's game is smaller in rugby union there is a much easier system for the two codes to coexist so um, if I give you an example so Bath we have just you know the first thing that I've been focusing on in Bath is launching a Bath women's team we actually just announced this week that we've launched a women's team Um, we've got from the union ranks um, a lot of interest from, from the girls to the point where we, uh, we know that we're going to have our first fixtures in May as a full team. Now, I don't think we could build a men's no. team that quickly. Um, and it's the same all around Europe, you know. So um, I think, you know, in Spain and in other countries, they're going to find that the women really take to rugby league and they are allowed to play rugby union and rugby league together Because there's not that same war because um, the women's union seasons are short. So they might only play six games, eight games in union. And then if they come and play six, eight games in league, both codes realise that's really beneficial to the player. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen in the men's game. So I can see actually, and and I'm going to make a bold statement. I think women's rugby league will save Rugby can you Europe? unpack
0: that a bit for us please
2: well it's going to be the growth category it's going to be the massive growth category over the next four, five, six, mm. six and beyond years um so where all the men's teams are struggling women's rugby league is going to be able to make those relationships with rugby union clubs Okay, and they're going to learn to coexist and they're going to learn the benefits of coexisting and they're going to see those players improving technically, improving fitness. And that is going to then transpire back over to the the men's side where union clubs then won't be and league clubs won't be scared of each other because they've just accidentally worked together on the women's side.
1: You know, I hope that's I hope that's true, Dean. Because I, I've said said for years that the in the oval ball game there is no reason why union and league can't coexist, um, and it's been one of the biggest bear hugs of developing the game in Europe uh, because of this kind of we can have off seasons, and I hope you're right. I hope I hope the women's game can be that catalyst, and if you are right. Then, you know they they Carlo they've you and I have spoken a
0: lot about bringing this sport into the 21st century um 21 years into the 21st mm-hmm. century and I still wonder when that's going to happen but I'll give you I'll give you an example from Australia Dean just to give you the picture because you you might not be aware but for some reason in so many areas this year and it's not a covid thing it's just a a reduction in numbers or, or reduction in teams. So many regions are starting their pre-season in November. That's that's rugby league tradition. You start your pre-season in November, isn't it, Carlo? like it's November, we start pre-season. Yeah. And some of the competitions aren't starting until May. So that's a six-month pre-season. <laughs> now, what I see straight away when I look at this, and I know we're talking about Australia here, not Europe, but if somebody somewhere could throw away their prejudice and just put it to one side and some of these union clubs and league clubs could come together, which is essentially what you're saying, but in the female game, and you're saying that the females might be the market leaders in this, I think that could be a good move into the 21st century. What do you reckon, Dean and Carlo? I'll start with you, Dean.
2: Yeah, look... It's, I've got a stake in a rugby league club in the south of England. Okay. So in the south of England, we know that union is king. Uh, we also know in, in lots of European countries, mm-hmm. union mm-hmm. is king. Mm-hmm. It's light years ahead of rugby league. Um, so, you know, you talked about women's super league in the north. They don't really have to worry about being so organized because mm. um, union's not so much of a threat. But if we're not organised in the south of England, it affects us both on the men's side and the women's side in terms of player attention and what we're able to offer. Um, So without criticising the RFL, actually, their responses are quite slow. And their cautious approach, rightly or wrong, rugby union in the south has got it's ducks in a row and people know when they're doing things and how they're doing things. And so that affects player retention. Okay. I think so to come to your question, Lee, this fear of us and them, it doesn't work in, you can't put it into any situation in society where it works, where it benefits society, where it benefits a business, you know, a Uh, a sport or anything like that. And if you can remove that fear, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of examples we could give with race and culture Mm. and migrants and and Mm. that are much bigger than rugby league and rugby union. But if you can remove that fear from people, then yeah, you're right. Um, And I think that's what I'm trying to get at the women's game. The women's game has the opportunity to show that there is nothing what, what to be I scared of,
0: too, is that participation levels and volunteer levels are essentially at an all-time low in rugby league in many ways. So, if you think about the different recreational opportunities every person has now, that
2: but they're not league. Their participation numbers yeah, are only down in certain countries. So. Participation this in lots of European countries is up.
0: Right, but obviously it's coming from a low base, yeah. isn't it? So it's like starting with 30 people turning into okay, it's a, from a low I'll base, but it's up. I, I should have maybe qualified the statement a bit more. To, uh, comment, um, sorry, figures in traditional rugby league areas, so Australia, England, France, so on and so forth, they're under real pressure. And yeah, do we all agree on that? Um, they're under pressure for volunteers. They're under pressure for participation. And the reason I bring this up is that I think society is changing all the time. You can entertain yourself on Facebook or Twitter or Netflix or whatever it may be. If you were devising brand-new sports in the 21st century and rugby league and rugby union didn't exist, it would be actually be a no-brainer for them to, put, to be put together in some kind of way, wouldn't it? It would be a no-brainer because, Carlo, as you know, People just want to run and tackle, don't they? Rugby, rugby league players and rugby union players essentially. Want to yeah, it's a bravado. It's a well, well, rugby, yeah. it's a bravado
1: sport, isn't it? You know, whichever came first. The facts of the matter is there is, you know, the development or the evolution of the sport as 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 gave us rugby league and rugby union. Now, the uh, just to go back on what you said there, Dean. I think you're very right. I said, you know, in predominantly countries rugby union is played in the winter and rugby league is played in the summer. However, if rugby union kind of change, make, try and be bold and make a decision where they, they change their seasonal sport, then we will have a major problem in the, in the growth of, uh, you know, of, of rugby league, I believe. So we're only one decision away uh, or one bold decision away by rugby union to, to really put the mockers on, 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 on potential development. And then we are going to be challenging and, like you said, Lee, just, just as we started this, this part of this segment, pathways are really key. Whether you're an administrator, whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, if you don't have the development pathways where you can play representative or be a part of representative, everything fails. And I think our administration in the last five years have not kept up with the other uh, majority sports like, like football. And that's where, that's where it's failed.
2: But, Carlo, it's not just, you know, everyone blames the administrators, okay, but it's the actual clubs themselves. So you can say, well, yeah, that's because of the administration. It's yeah, not. But they
1: need, yeah, but they need, they need leadership, Dean. Well, and, do you and, really? Um,
2: I mean, if I've, I've got well, a club, yeah, I've got do. a club. You do. I've got a club, and I don't need an administrator to tell me that I need a pathway. It's kind of obvious.
1: Yeah, yeah, but there is no pathway if the administrations don't provide, provide one.
2: No, it's you not can, for the administrators provide the yeah, pathway. But, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hang
1: on a second, hang on a second. You're, you're you're talking about your club, and you can only develop within your club. If the administrators don't provide a representative pathway, pathway or a, a form of pathway, then you're only limited in what you can do from club line.
2: Well, no, let me give you an example, OK? Because this is... We were talking about the community game in England. So Bath play in the West of England League, OK? And probably now the biggest issue is exactly what you were saying there. We're one decision away from potentially not having teams. So, because a lot of those teams in the West of England and Southern Conference will rely on rugby union players in the off season, okay, they, um, if rugby union decides, well, hang on, let's come back to training in June, which a lot of them are now actually doing,
0: mm-hmm.
2: that then takes the, the, participation numbers of league in the south down but that's not the administrator's fault that's the club's fault for not having specific rugby league players for not training all year for not organising uh, different events friendlies um, that can mean that they've got a core group of players who are playing league all year round um, and that's my point you know Falencio Huracanis for example. It's not Spanish Rugby League's fault if all of our players come from Rugby Union. The, it's Valencia or The thing that's to my
0: fault. mind, and Carlo, and I don't care which one mm. of you sort of wants to answer this first, but um, when you talked about club versus administration, and by administration I assume you, you both mean national governing body administration, there's a couple of countries in, in Europe already where one club seems to be quite dominant, one that springs to mind is Red Star in, in Serbia. Um, there can be, can't they, that that uh, I suppose the term I'm looking for is lopsided nature, can't they? If if one club has really got its its acting in order and the game or the other clubs aren't, aren't up to speed. Dean, I will throw this to you first because you've actually addressed this in conversations with me talking about the development of Spain, haven't you? You've essentially got a very uh, fresh canvas to work from. I'm not saying a blank one. I'm saying a fresh canvas. You've you've been able to pinpoint where the game can head and what it can look like. You've not got 120 years of baggage to, to deal with. How How does a... Uh, uh, an administration, a games administration, stop one club being powerful, because being powerful in certain contexts doesn't it doesn't require much, does it? Um, it might not be very hard for one team in Poland, for example, to be better than everyone else. They just need to get the four or five best players that are knocking around, right? How do you stop that from an administration? Yeah, but, but, but you need.
1: But, but, so, sorry, Lee. But just right. sorry, right. Lee. Like, I was just jumping in then. Just, uh, I, I think, first and foremost, again, you know, success is very, very good. But, y- you know, you, you've also got an affiliation to the game to grow the game. I think, it, you know, singular success is great, but it's also quite boring. You know, competition is all about growth. Uh, and, again, it's up to those that administration to allow that to happen. But also, the club as a, uh, you know, the club, there's no point in having one club with 35 players and being very successful if the competition uh, fails because yeah. that one club's got all the players. You know, it's got... If that's the case, you're just going, well, what are you doing for the for the betterment of the game? It's just stupid. Yeah, it.
2: and look, and Lee, like, like you're saying, you've given the example of Red Star. We're not criticising Red Star. We're not criticising what they've done because we don't know the details, yeah. if we're being honest. We don't know what's happened on the ground. we but we do know what's happened is you've got one club that, let's be honest, hasn't had to be that great mm. to beat the other clubs. Okay? So that's what you're yeah. referring to. Now, um, if I was going to be openly frank and mm-hmm. honest, Valencia Huracanes has more money than the other teams in yeah. Spain. So it could it could just go and sign all the best players in yeah. Spain and then it could go and thrash... All the other teams and say, look at that, aren't we fantastic? We're the most successful team in Spain. But you're right, it does nothing for the game. It's just an absolute switch off. So what we've done as administrators is restrict what that club can and can't do. You identify the problem, but you've also got to feed to all of the clubs the vision, which is we need to grow the sport in Spain. And to grow the sport in Spain, the product has to be right. And the product is Mallorca versus Madrid, Malaga versus Valencia. Mm -hmm. And so we need those games to be competitive. Not necessarily worry about the standard right now, but they need to be competitive games. So it can't be a 100-point blowout Mm -hmm. every week that Valencia play because Valencia wouldn't actually get any fans from that. Let alone the other team, and then you you'd lose players from the game, because who wants to go and play in a league where you're guaranteed not to win? <laughs> um, and I think this is something because I've worked in football in the past, and football clubs work together. So what you'll actually have is you know if I give you an example, I, I worked in football in England, uh, so if you've got two clubs, say like a Barnsley and a Sheffield Wednesday. Their commercial departments will talk. Their marketing departments will talk. Their CEOs will talk. And they'll be comparing what each one is doing because they recognize they're not actually in competition with one another. You know, a Sheffield Wednesday fan is never going to become a Barnsley fan. And a Barnsley fan a Sheffield Wednesday fan. Um, And they do all that privately to be the best that they can be. And even though they're competing in the same league sometimes it's not an issue and clubs do that around the country they have special meetings where they go and do all this rugby league doesn't do this rugby league is ridiculously divisive divisive is the word because they want to get one up on the other club next to them they don't recognize that that club next to them getting stronger is really good for their club
0: the the, the 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 two big competitions in the game, the NRL Super League, are essentially run by the clubs, aren't they, Carlo? Yeah, they
1: are. But it's it's also a very dangerous game as well. They have a, the and the commit well, the commission is supposed to be, you know, it's headed independently. But you're right, it's it's led by the, the teams. Uh, again, you know, is, it, is that the right method? Probably in certain areas, yes, and in certain areas, no. It's like giving the meat—sorry, the key to the meat locker to the, to the lines, You know what I mean? It's you've got to sometimes protect themselves uh, from themselves, and it's a very difficult way.
2: But then you've also got to recognise the power that clubs can have because without clubs, you don't have a league.
1: Yeah. yeah so that's it's a—it's
2: a—it's a—it's a really tight balancing act, and clubs will always want power because they're the product. Uh, but you're right, Carlos, sometimes clubs want to do things and yeah. it's not good for, the, good game. for well, they, not the game. that yeah. they, you know. Sometimes well, in Spain, I'll get a club who will say, can we train for two weeks and have a friendly? No, you can't. Yeah, That's dangerous. <laughs> um, and, you know, as an administrator, and this is all I can say as an administrator, clubs never love you, they only ever hate you right? So when you do something fantastic, nobody says, that well, was done. brilliant, well yeah. done. Yeah. Um, and when you do something they don't like, they complain and they bitch and they, oh, this isn't right, he's not doing a great, a fantastic job. Don't they say that about podcast, podcast
0: and... hosts as well, Carlo?
1: <laughs> I love you all.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I just think it's, a, it's just yeah. human nature, isn't it? Uh, when things aren't When things are going right, um, where you're doing a terrible job, and when things are going, when things are right, when something good happens, well, it's what you should have done in the first place. Um, And sometimes I think um, clubs forget that, that, you know, people don't like the RFL at times, people don't like the NRL, people don't like the the European federations, international federations. Um, But in the main, they're just. Volunteers mm. who have good intentions and um sometimes those intent people don't understand why that decision's being made and therefore they don't like it and then they yeah. want to take the power
1: well a good um, example a good example of that dean is is the salary cap the salary cap came in because clubs were overspending in order to win a competition, and to be honest, the richest clubs basically won every yeah. year, yeah so a salary cap is a good a good example of you know the competition being affiliated or assimilated with fair competition rules in order to give us that fair competition rather than a lopsided but by, by law the the Brisbane Broncos in, in, in Australia should win every year because they're by far yep. the richest but they don't no
0: definitely not at the minute <laughs> um i think we've 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 been really extensive on that boys and a great discussion um i'll if you don't mind, I'll move on to the next topic on the 5th of March of this year 2021 uh, the IRL, the international rugby League concluded their consultation about transgender participation. their press release said following a consultation on transgender participation in women's rugby league, international rugby league has confirmed three outcomes one that it will not change its current rules on transgender participation prior to this year's Women's Rugby League World Cup. Two, that it will use the World Cup to collect data in order to inform policy development. And three, that will, it will adopt a comprehensive inclusion policy in 2022 following further research. Carlo, I'll start with you. Um, very it's a tender subject, obviously, so I don't want to... Um, at any point,
1: well, opinions. Well, I just want to state as well for the record opinions are, are our own, you know. And for me, I think uh, transgender, I haven't got no. a problem with it at all. I think everyone's entitled to their own right, but I do have a problem if it affects the fairness of the game. Um, now, again, without doing all the research. Um, we don't know where that lies, but if we look at what's happened in the um, the the Olympic arena, where uh, males have uh, transgendered into females, you know, and they've become standouts in that sport, I just I just feel it needs more research, and until that research is done, then it's not a level playing field. Dean, that I, and that's my opinion.
0: I basically summarise this announcement from the IRL as we've had a look at it, but we're going to look at it again in a year or so, um, in, in further detail. Where where does Spanish Rugby League stand on the transgender issue, for example?
1: Um,
2: look, it is, this is a tender subject, um, but I think what we've got to realise is there are people who will have a knee-jerk reaction to this. So some people will say, absolutely, for inclusion, they should be allowed in. And some will say, absolutely not, um, they, they shouldn't be allowed in because women's sport is for women. And neither are correct because actually what they're doing is they're taking a political decision. This is not a political question. This is a scientific question so you've got to be led by the science on this okay so you can it, 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 you're not um being it's not about discrimination or inclusion it's about carlo just referred to it in the olympics there are examples of whereby mediocre male athletes have transitioned and that's mm. fine that they've transitioned and they've gone into the 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 women's categories and they've dominated and broken mm. and set records. Um that means that there is a scientific element that we need to look at in this category. Okay. Some people say, well, you just suppress the testosterone and then it's fine. It's not, you know, if you know men and women's bodies are different, <laughs> we know that, we recognize that as they grow, they grow different and there is muscle retention and, and all those kind of topics and we've got to get into the science to make the decision okay and and i think that's you know nobody's nobody's saying we don't want transgenders in rugby league no one is saying that what we're saying is we need to put them in in the correct way that allows the competition to run fairly and if there's a system where people can show Spanish Rugby League that there is a fair way of introducing transgender into the male categories or the women's categories. We haven't got a problem with it. But the the historic cases, the the, the information that we have at the minute is that it potentially creates an unfairness in the competition. And it potentially creates some safety issues in terms of, two athletes who are completely mismatched
0: and against each other on a pitch. I have some, um, I wouldn't say contradictory views on this, but I have some some stuff that can challenge it and challenge some of thoughts. I've also got quite a bit of experience in this because I'm an educator, I'm a teacher by trade, and for the last five or six years, we've been um, made aware of students that don't necessarily identify with the gender that they look like they may be. So there's been discussion about which uh, bathroom they'll use and things like that, and it's it's very much part of our culture now. The second story I want to tell you about, because because the issue we're talking about, gents, it's not it's not just a sport issue, it's not just a rugby league issue, is it? It's a it's a far wider issue than that. Yeah, cultural um, issue. I've actually coached a transgender player mm. in, in a rep team. Um, if if people want to do this, they'll find they'll find her name. Her name is Caroline Late, and I coached her in the New South Wales girls Origin side in two thousand and seven. Um, and a Google search, you'll find her and you'll find the story. And um, th- there's a lot of cases of players like Caroline who felt that they were allowed to get to a certain level, but they weren't allowed to represent their country. Um, My memory of Caroline, first of all, an absolute legend of a person. She was awesome. Second of all, nobody batted an eyelid. Third of all, she was significantly uh, talented because she could play the game very well and she was strong and all this. But ultimately, she fit into that team and she fit into that context like a glove. And I'm just going to throw something else in here. Every transgender person that I have been in the orbit of, the support around them has been overwhelming. We we're we're a far more tolerant society than we are led to believe in when we look at our current media cycles, especially with children and early 20s people and all that kind of thing. People who haven't had their uh, years of history to impact their thought processes. And I have no doubt that rugby league played a massive role in, in Caroline's life in terms of keeping her esteem high, her confidence relatively high, and all that kind of thing. I also argue that a sport of rugby league unless there are, you know, um, massive differences in size or anything like that, the, the, the differences in performance levels aren't quite as vast. So even if you're the biggest man on a rugby league field, more often than not, you get tackled when you're a, a fully grown man, right? It's just that sometimes you might break through and, and make a good break or, or whatever it may be. The other thing the the wider the game goes, so for example, uh, I, I've, I've got I've got some girls in the school that I work at, right, and they they're not transgender, and they bench press just as much as some of the boys of the same age because they've trained from a certain age, and some of them are obviously heavier and just as fit because my school are state champions at. Uh, perennial state champions for great
1: uh, yeah but Lee I, I, tol- I totally agree with everything you said and again it's not about uh, individual um, person I, I, I think a person who is has tra- transitioned from a male to a female or female to a male you know is a very brave individual yeah And I think they're extremely brave for the process that they've gone through. I think the question of that is is not about the individual, and I think sometimes you've got to take the emotion out of it. It's about is is it is it a fair transition? Is it fair? And we just because it's so we're still such at the start of this process, we just don't know the answers to that just yet. And I think
2: yeah, and Lee, and I think you know, sorry to cut in, cowboy. Yeah, sorry. What we've what we've what we've got to what we've got to do here is is rugby league mm. talks about its inclusive nature, right? right? So we've got to find a space for everyone. You can't say you're inclusive and then ostracize mm. an entire group of people, okay? So everybody, I think, would say yes. Transgender people are welcome in rugby league. But we've got to find the right system. We've got to find the right place for them to compete without ostracising them and without compromising the potential fairness of games. And that's you know, me saying that will not be popular. But it it is a site Carlos right, you're just saying Carlos, sorry to interrupt, but you're in, in it's the community game, boys, not a political question.
0: Sorry, sorry. Politically, the, in the community come on game, in. where essentially people play for fun, can't we fast track this a little bit? Bear in mind with the, with the inclusive game, we were the first game to have a black coach in Britain, for example. Well, can,
1: I, can I just jump in. A, You're so, right. So, sorry, Lee, though, but I'm just when we say we're inclusive. Why can't we create uh, a transgender?
0: Well, how competition? many how many uh, are yeah. I don't know the stats. Do you? <laughs> I don't I don't know how
1: Yeah, but at least we know if you well we're not saying everyone has to be transgender, but if we if you say it's a transgender competition, then if even if you're not transgender and you're of that sex, at least you know you're
0: playing in that. I don't think I don't think the monetary rewards in rugby league are big enough for anybody out there to consider. Switching from male rugby league, so I, I don't think the the women's rugby league game is big enough right now for somebody to go, "You know what um'm I'm, I'm gonna switch gender and I'm going to play rugby league, which is what people have been accused of doing in, in the Olympics for years. so there's been so much stuff thrown around in the press that countries on mass have tried to switch the gender of people so they can be successful in in the female. Uh, elements of the olympics or whatever it may be the female events. i don't think we're talking big bickies here i don't i i don't think there's going to be anything sinister and i think that we we are you know we, we just want to be finished Dean. sorry sorry, but, but sorry Lee, you talked you we, just we, talked we've there got about no the, control for a game in the middle of Leeds or the middle of Łódź in Poland or wherever it may be. We've got no control about weight and weight and, and size. We, we You could have two 14-year-olds playing against each other. One is three times the size of the other. And we don't stop that. We don't prevent that. There's weight and age discussions have gone on at various times over time. What can't, can't we fast-forward this is all I'm asking? Yeah, but Lee, Lee
1: you, but, you're turning but, around and saying what you've just said there is basically, um, well, why do we have uh, a women's game and a male's game? We might as well just have one say game. say that. Well, yeah, but you're, say, you're no, but saying... I
2: can see Carlos' point, Lee. You're
1: saying that, well, listen, is it, we've got to be all-inclusive here, but... We we do. Okay, how many people need separation? So
0: this study.
1: How many people? Well, that's that's the problem, isn't it? We need without stats, without information. I think I, I, again, it's it's not the. I think that's what what they're trying to say is that we mm-hmm. need to we need to address this. And when you're saying can we fast track it, I, I, all I'm saying I'm just giving a, a voice of opinion. I just think if we have a transgender competition. Uh, from a male transition or a female transition, and if you are a male and you you know that and you're playing in that comp, that's fine. But the fact of the matter is, without without any with a, for any tree, you need a seed, yeah. So it, it needs to start somewhere. Whether it's right or wrong, we need we need to start somewhere. Uh, and at the moment, inclusion but, I- inclusion into the male or the female game is going to be just. I think I think it, there's not enough stats out there or enough data out there to. Yeah. To say it's right or wrong,
2: but let me just add something in Lee, because you're saying about, well, can we fast track it in the community game? Yeah. The example you gave was it of Caroline? Um, what was her one of her problems? Her problems
0: was the higher she went up, she then kind I mean, nothing. Nothing. She nothing. Um, so you can't say that we're inclusive. Like nobody said, Caroline, you're not picked for this team because okay. you were one. Yeah. Okay,
2: but her perception, look, things don't have to be said. You know, you don't have to say something to be Should racist. She get to New South Wales like level, so right? she got People to state can be level. very clear about is... it. You can be de- yeah. Right. Okay, let me let me just say what I want to say, right? So you can't say you're inclusive if you then say, okay, you can play in community get level, so you can play up to Northern Conference, mm.
0: Southern Conference,
2: but mm. that's your ceiling because it's a start to inclusion though isn't that's it?
0: not inclusion okay. it's a it's a so roadmap to, to to inclusion it's a roadmap yeah. to solving the problem
2: you've got yeah but you've got to come up with a real solution and and you know i'm just trying to think let, let's take something let's take it away from transgender mm. let's maybe compare something like pdr okay And let's take up Carlo's idea of, you know, let's create a transgender category where you don't necessarily have to be um, transgender to play in it, but you play under understanding, you know, who can potentially play in that and what the potential things can be. You know, PDRL teams get formed all the time and then they travel long distances to play a game because there's not enough games. You can also take something like the wheelchair where you don't have to be, in a wheelchair to play, so you know you can be uh, able-bodied, uh, and you can be disabled, and you can play in the same team. Okay, so maybe the starting point is that we have transgender categories or open categories where anyone can play in those teams, um, and that's part of the solution. Yeah. But then maybe that's going to compound
0: the problem because people will turn around and say, "Well, the other actually thing, you're creating an none of us know how many we don't like transgender that. people have played the game." We don't know how many ladies who've changed into men have played the game. We don't know how many men have turned into ladies. Whenever I registered for a club, I never had to show them my genitalia, right? Yeah, you know, that, that is not that is not a registration. Yeah, yeah but the answer
2: know, is, the, the and answer, you only have to tick a
0: box. But that's not the, that's that
2: that's not the question. The question is how many people would have played or could play. So, for example, currently sport does not welcome transgender if you're transgender it must be it must be really Mm. difficult if you've got a passion for sport and you want to play it because you're going to have to be brave you're going to have to have that conversation Mm. you're going to Mm. potentially have a lot of discrimination okay so you come out as transgender you deal with all of that Mm -hmm. and then you now have to go back into it if you want to play sport so sport is not welcoming of transgender athletes right now There's no sport that is, okay? And because it's just hurdles and obstacles mm. and there's horror stories of what some athletes mm. have had to go through to justify competing, okay? Mm. Um, so, you, you know, saying, well, how many are there? It's not that. It's how many could there be? So, you know, that's the question. And what we've got to do is we've got to find a way, and I'll probably finish on this, You've got to find a way yeah. of welcoming oh, I agree with
0: that for sure. this
2: yeah. group of people. Yeah. I don't know exactly how you do that. And, you know, I don't think Carlo's idea is a bad idea, to be honest with you, um, as a starting point. Um, and make it so there is no obstacles. There's no, oh, my goodness, I'm transgender mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to go through this horrific process mm-hmm. just because I want to throw a ball around or want to mm-hmm. kick a ball. Mm-hmm. I mean... That's disgusting, in my opinion, that that ha- that, that happens to them. Um, so let's find a place for them in sport, because you might only have had two transgender athletes up until now, but there might be thousands the out waterfall. there. Nobody knows the because we've because mm-hmm. we've never. Well, it's, it's an
0: amazing topic. It's an amazing topic, and I think we've discussed it.
1: Yeah, but we're only at the start of it. It's only, we're only at the start of the infancy of of this whole cultural change. So you, you can't just dive into the deep end and expect to swim. It's got to, it's got to, you. you've got to have a bit of due diligence about uh, in and around it. And I think we ultimately the right decision will be made, but I, 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 you know, it's just, I, mm. I, I'm with you. I hope it go, happens quick, but again, mm. we don't know who's in charge of it. Is there a certain person mm. who's going to be flying mm-hmm. the flag? Who's going to be the champion of it? How are we going to do it? You know, but I agree with but, Dean. But, there is thousands Carlo, there. What a play! I, I sh- we shouldn't be stopping him.
2: But Carlo, you hit the nail on the head. We'll make the right decision eventually. But the the point is, we can't make the right decision eventually and yeah. cause ten years of pain, anguish, and suffering to mm. people. We've got to make the right decision with a can-do attitude. Well, think,
1: like, a can do attitude.
0: Not, not an obstructionist attitude.
1: Well, I think I think that statement from the IRL is probably. The start of yeah. this process, isn't it? Really, you know. I think, and I hope, and I, we, we listen. I for one will be following it with with uh, with bated breath because, like I say, everyone yeah, should yeah, have the yeah, opportunity yeah. to play with the league, at yeah. whatever level, uh, as high as it can go. And I think uh, that you know it goes it goes for everyone. So uh, I'll be excited. Boys, you have been excellent, amazing well.
0: contributors to the historical episode two of season two of the rugby league Europe podcast in a week where Harry and Megan have dominated headlines. I think we've just stolen their thunder. If you, yeah, exactly. If you, if you, um, if you want to retweet us or tweet us or whatever it may be, we're at the RLE podcast on Twitter at the RLE podcast on Instagram and the rugby league Europe podcast on Facebook. Now, Dean, now you're one of us. You have to say goodbye in your local uh, well it's not your local you're in Spain but you're actually originally from Leeds so can you do the Spanish one please so, <laughs> yeah 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 so what, I'll your, say your, I'll your, say your, uh, your Spanish, is Uru, asking, is I'm in Australia but I could also say Tara because I'm from Salford so um, I don't know how I'd put them two together but if you can give us a Spanish one and then Carlo always sounds as off as his Italian one <laughs> I like
1: that. I am going I say going I say chill I I later,
0: boys. <laughs>